Hello and welcome to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today we're talking to George Scott from FaceAb and we're talking about the upcoming standard SFAS 59 for land. A lot of big changes there, so uh, we thought we'd uh, kind of dig into it for you. So now let's get into a nice technical topic and let's talk with George. Welcome to the podcast. Okay, so today we are talking about another great accounting topic, technical topic. We're talking about land, and uh, no better guest for that than uh, Mr. George Scott from FaceAb. Hey, George, how are you doing today? Doing great. How about you, Paul? Doing good. So, uh, yeah, why don't we just start off, George, just introduce yourself. What do you do? Um, and then we'll kind of jump into the, the actual standard here we're going to talk about. All right. Well, thank you, Paul, and thank you for inviting me today. Let me start off with my usual disclaimer. The views expressed are my own. The board only expresses its views in official written publications after extensive due process and deliberation. Now about myself. I joined the board in 2016 and became the chair in 2019. I'm a retired partner and former regional public sector leader for Deloitte LLP. I spent almost 40 years at Deloitte serving state and local public sector clients, including private and public universities. My career over those years addressed state and local accounting, financial reporting, and compliance and auditing issues. During my career, I was, I was active with numerous professional and industry organizations and their committees. I served on those committees either as task member or a uh, task force member or as chairman. Those included the American Institute of CPAs, Governmental Accounting Standards Board, U.S. Government Accountability Office, Association of School Business Officials, the Texas Society of CPAs, among others. All right. Well, thank you for that. Well, so happy to have you here. And we wanted to dive into a one of the newer standards, uh, SFAS 59, the accounting and reporting of government land, because it definitely is different than how things were done before. So, um, if you don't mind, why don't you just kick us off a little bit about, you know, why did you all feel that you needed to release a new standard, a new way of doing, uh, reporting these uh, uh, pieces of land there? Sure, be happy to. In 2016, the board was concluding its deliberations on Statement 50, which addressed establishing opening balances for general property plan and equipment, or GPP&E. And that included land balances. A concern arose at the board as we began to look at guidance on certain types of capital type of assets, primarily land here. There was a concern that there were significant differences in accounting treatment of land in already two of the existing standards and also now perhaps there would be a a third alternative in in statement 50. So the board board expressed some concerns 
that we needed to delve into the issue of land a little bit uh, more in depth. Those concerns consisted of the historical cost that much of land was reported under, especially GPP&E primarily, had lost its relevance over time. Some entities were excluding land and land rights from opening balances because of, or would be, because of state and 50. There was incomplete reporting where neither the total cost of the land nor the total fiscal quantity of the land is consistently reported. And there was a measurement and recognition difference between stewardship land and general property plant and equipment land. In GPP&E, land was recognized as a capital asset historical cost or acquisition cost, whereas stewardship land was expense. And some physical quantity information was reported. So the board requested the staff to research and present to the board potential accounting options that would treat all land the same, regardless of these two major classifications. What I heard at the board at the time was, you know, land is land. So why isn't it reported the same across the board? The request included a, that the board made of staff was to uh, include an analysis of user needs, identification of major land holding agencies and the use of land, various types of information that would demonstrate the government stewardship and accountability of land manage, all in at the same time looking at the cost benefit of some of these issues. To facilitate this, the board also approved a task force consisting of citizen users, preparers, auditors, representatives from the commercial sector to assist us, staff and the board, of reviewing this area. So that's how this project got started. So, and can you give us a little bit about some of the considerations you guys looked at? Because, you know, there's different ways you could value land, you know, fair value or, or other ways, historical cost, and, you know, why? what were some of the challenges with those? You know, that, that, that is probably probably the most complex issue that we had to, uh, had to face on how to, what basis to really present land on a uniform basis across the, the federal arena. The board discussed uh, a variety of issues and alternatives of reporting land in the financial statement or in the notes to the financial statement, or both, depending on the situation. So under consideration, uh, with an eye always on cost benefit, various options were explored. Now, obviously the first one that came to mind, and it seems like it's always on the, at the forefront is historical or acquisition costs. That's the traditional approach to recording such assets. During the discussions and deliberations, it became clear to the board that such information provided little to no benefit in future decades. 
land purchased a century ago provided little management information as to what that, uh, in, a, in a current environment, what that really meant or what that would help with. Another area that we looked at, another basis was value in use basis. In this particular basis, land would be presented on the a present value of future cash flows derived from the use of land. While this offers really a very relevant option to certain types of land, it's not all inclusive and it's still very highly subjective and would potentially lead to a lack of comparability. Another option was fair value basis. In this basis, the actual value of land is that value which would be, would be agreed upon by a willing buyer and seller of, of the land, or sometimes referred to as market value. While most would agree this is probably the most relevant, the cost of fair valuing 600 million acres on a periodic basis would be very high. And the board believed that that, just, that cost exceeded the benefit. Coupled with the historical fact, the federal government regularly does not enter into large land transactions, sales, or purchases. Determining fair value, would, again, would be very subjective. Another option was looking at non-financial information basis. One of the key objectives of the board was to identify a key denominator for reporting all government land, including permanent land rights. Several non-financial approaches were discussed. Those included recording or reporting parcels, reporting units, reporting acres, as well as, as, well as others. Increasing the usefulness and relevance of the financial information was paramount in the board's approach. So selecting a basis that best reflected the fact that the US government manages approximately 30% of all surface land in the United States was critical. The board concluded that a non-financial basis was more appropriate in this unique situation. Additionally, the estimated acreage was selected as the most transparent, understandable, and comparable non-financial measure across the federal government. This attribute would allow users to consider how land was used and how the amount of land held had changed. This would, and this also addressed both the operating performance and the stewardship objectives of reporting, as well as address cost-benefit concerns in the application. So again, it was a very lengthy process. It took several years, and we ended up in, in a non-financial reporting decision. Right. Yeah. And the non-financial using estimated acreage, as you mentioned there. So uh, just curious, I mean, you know, were there any uh, interesting conversations during that task force? You know, what kind of things did you all talk about and, you know, any major disagreements? I'm just curious. Well, as we started, uh, as I mentioned early, for every major project, the board establishes a task force of, of uh, interested users, preparers, auditors, subject matter experts to assist the board in developing this guidance. These task forces can serve in a variety of capacities, 
including assisting in the research and fact-finding, developing objectives, even assisting in drafting initial uh, guidance documents, uh, providing proof of concept, as well as a number of other things. And so as you can imagine, there were a lot of divergent views among the task force. It was, a, it was as challenging reaching a consensus. Obviously there was a lot of discussion about cost benefit. There was a lot of discussion about what do, do the users of the financial statements actually need and so forth. But also there were discussions as I mentioned earlier, how do you uh, best reflect that the federal government has an asset that equals to approximately 30% of all the surface land of the United States when it is very difficult to value them in traditional terms. So, so a lot of these issues were discussed not only at the task force level, but at the board level, and then subsequent to the issuance of the, of the exposure draft as we received comments. In fact, after the uh, exposure draft comment was I mean, the exposure draft was released and comments were received, uh, the board invited respondents as well as subject matter ex experts to meet with the board to share their views. And the process resulted in several changes to the original proposal. Primarily to these changes were to ease the burden on the preparers, as well as to focus on the most important information that the board believed the users needed to provide a better picture of the financial position and condition of the federal government. I believe the most significant change was related to the timeline. When the, uh, when the board agreed to a specific date for no disclosure of this information, we adopted and subsequently amended and extended a period of time when that information would be rep uh, reported in supplementary and required supplementary information, RSI. That gives the preparers a, a, an opportunity to identify implementation issues that if necessary, the board can address before it becomes basic information. So I think that it's one of the longest implementation periods of any of our standards. Uh, because again, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the unique way that we're asking for land to be reported, which is not obviously non-traditional. Right. Yeah, and I, I want to get into that timeline a little bit here in a second. I did have one quick little technical question for you. Um, I did notice in there that mm -hmm. there there is a, a different treatment for um, you know land held for disposal or exchange versus you know the ones that we're actually using. So can you just explain that little difference? Sure. Um, land held for disposal exchange will be reported in acres consistent with the standard. However, this standard does not preclude additional information such as as the fair value of the land being sold to be disclosed in the, in the notes of the financial statement. What this standard does is set what the board believes is required for gap presentation. That does not mean that an entity or a uh, preparer is precluded from including other basis of information in the note if they believe that that is what their users require. And again, that, they still have that flexibility. They can use their judgment there. But the minimum, the minimum requirement is on acreage. 
Um, and again, the land that is that is reported as held for disposal must meet very specific criteria. It's got to go through the appropriate uh, public participation in identifying the land, uh, maybe the diverse clearances or agency may have, as well as you know any other specific guidelines. It is not land that is anticipated to be sold, it is land that has completed that process is now held for disposal or exchange. So it's, it's very specific. And I, I, when we get into some of the, as, the detailed aspects of the standard itself, I can, I can, uh, I'll delineate a little bit more on that. Sure. No. Yeah. So uh, let's kind of go through, you know, what, what are some of the features, the major aspects of the new standard? You know, as you mentioned, there's things that are you have to start doing now things that are going to roll out over the next few years. Maybe uh, if you could give us a little insight on that. Certainly. Uh, I would encourage your listeners to read the standard. There are, a, there are a lot of uh, aspects to the standard. I'm going to just, just highlight a few of the major ones, but there are others as well as read the basis for conclusion, because that will give the preparers, especially a view of what the board believes is the appropriate way to implement this standard without specific implementation guidance, but it gives the thoughts of the board on how to apply this standard. So I encourage your readers to do that. Let me discuss some of the major aspects of it. Probably uh, uh, one that a lot of people have focused on or, uh, is the reclassification of general property plan and equipment land and permanent land rights as a non-capitalized asset. Obviously, if you're going to a, a non-financial uh, basis, then, then you would also take off the capitalized asset from, uh, from your financial statement. And I'll discuss that a little bit more later. Um, also, even though you've taken off the financial value, the preparer would still have that line item on their balance sheet. And I'm talking about when in 2026, when there's final implementation here, but take off the, the financial value on the uh, balance sheet, but still have a line item that would reference the note. So it's still a line item on the balance sheet, but it has no financial value associated with it on the balance sheet, a dollar amount. We mentioned earlier that uh, you'd be reporting estimated acres of land held for disposal exchange, and those would be separately reported in the note. Reporting land rights information also is required, and this would be obviously in the note. And describing whether such land rights are permanent or temporary, and the amounts paid during the year to maintain such rights. Probably the second most important significant change is the creation of showing the predominant use of the land that is under the management of the federal government. The board, after extensive discussion, identified three key areas or three subcategories that the total land should be broken up to by major classification, I think stewardship land, and general property plant and equipment. 
So these subcategories describe to the users of the financial statements how the land is being used. So there's three major categories. First off is conservation and preservation. And pretty much you would intuitively know what that is. Land uh, conserved and preserved for significant natural, scientific, cultural, recreational resources. Those would include national parks, for example. The second area is operational, and that's used for general administrative purposes. That would be, that would be covered through by uh, military use, scientific use, land with office buildings, to name a few. The third area is commercial, and that's land to generate inflows of resources from non-federal third parties. And that can be either from the land itself or for activities on the land. And that can include concession arrangements, leases, forest product sales, to say, uh, to say the least. So there are those three categories, and even though there are numerous ways you could have broken this down, these are the three primary categories. I want to take a few minutes to discuss this important change because as, import, as, is, as important as reporting government land in a uniform, consistent manner is across the federal government, the board concluded that disclosing such land and how it was used, primarily how it was used, was equally valuable to the users of the financial statements. In recognition of the needs of the users and impact on preparers, these three, sub, these three categories were identified and required. Preparers will categorize land in these three areas based on their predominant use of the land. And they, there's a lot of flexibility in, in especially in the standard and described in the basis as to the aggregation and assignment criteria, which will be determined by entities management. Predominant use is not a new term in our, in our uh, guidance. It is the major or primary use and in this case of the land during the reporting period. And so it may potentially change over time. But uh, again, the board provided quite a bit of flexibility uh, for, to the preparer in determining predominant uh, use. So those are the key aspects of this, of this standard. Obviously there are uh, obviously more, more than this. And uh, some of these are more nuanced than I've mentioned because of, uh, there are always exceptions, as, as everyone knows. Uh, so uh, I would encourage people to lead it carefully. All right. No, that's, yeah. Thank you for that explanation. Um, and again, we talked about the timeline is kind of unique here. We have uh, four years to kind of roll things out. And do you mind just explaining a little bit about, you know, what are some of the next steps between now and FY26? Be happy to. Again, the board was concerned about the implementation burden on the preparers and decided that we needed to lengthen out the implementation period. So as more items, if, if there were implementation issues, the board could address those timely before this information became basic information in 2026 and fully covered by audit. So for fiscal years 22 and 23, 
preparers are required to present total acreage and acreage by predominant use as required supplemental information. During this time, the board and the staff are monitoring implementation issues. The, the staff has been meeting as well as training federal entities, personnel, around this standard and trying to address their questions as they as they begin as they implement this. The staff has met with numerous agencies already, including the USDA and Forest Service, Interior, Architect of the Capitol, Energy, among others. Additionally, GAO is in the process of developing audit guidance in cooperation with the Inspector Generals on guidance on auditing total acreage and acreage by predominant use. So in 23 and 24, this process will continue. Again, the information will be in RSI. Uh, if there are issues that come that rise to the board's attention from the from the preparers and from the audit community, we will begin to address those if necessary. In 2025, the board will complete its assessment of the remaining implementation issues associated with this and as appropriate, take action to address them before RSI transitions to the notes to the financial statements and becomes basic information in 2026. And the board has already, uh, on our technical agenda, established a, a formal project that is, in the pro that is monitoring this. And at, in due time, we are going to establish a new task force to also advise the board on any implementation issues too directly. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's sense. going to be a lengthy process, but hopefully it will address and, and uh, lead to a very successful implementation in 2026. Right, absolutely. So, yeah, that kind of answers my, my last question I had for you. So, you know, now we're in FY26. What, ideally, what are we expecting to see here? Sounds like, I mean, you already answered it, you know, this would be reported basic information that's in the notes. Um, and I guess in theory, any, any slight changes that may have come across, you know, based on any implementation challenges or what, what would you guys expect to see that FY26 end period? Absolutely. Hopefully by 2026, we've addressed all the implementation issues with, with, uh, guidance from the board. Uh, and I think it's important to emphasize that until 2026, no changes to the basic financial statement or the accounting for land or and land and permanent land rights will change. So in the next few years, in this transition period, nothing on the balance sheet changes, recognizing in, in GPP and E land as far as capitalizing land, that will continue. That none of that will change until 2026 when all land purchased will be expensed as opposed to capitalized for any type of land. So that's that's probably, you know, I think will be the biggest item people, a lot of people will notice that what happened to, you know, a value for land, uh, even though much of the federal land now is not, has no financial value on the uh, balance sheet now. So 
uh, that, that again, nothing changes until 2026. And then all these items that were in RSI, uh, the total acreage, the acreage by um, predominant use in those three categories will be moved into the notes of the financial statements and they will take the primary, uh, they will be the primary reporting of land in the federal government and subject to full audit. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for uh, walking us through that. Um, I think you definitely kind of brought all this to everybody's attention. The folks that are out there doing preparation and, you know, following this stuff, uh, kind of helps them understand a little better. And obviously, like you said, read the standard, uh, you know, read all the, all the, all the information around there. Um, so I think just my last question for you, or just, you know, maybe just if you want to give us any final thoughts, uh, you know, or, you know, as far as what you guys do or, you know, maybe how the community supports you guys as far as uh, developing new standards. Any final words from you? Uh, I appreciate that. I, I would like to conclude with an ask for uh, for your listeners, audience, for your audience. Um, if you have an interest in any of the board's activities, I'd ask you to thoughtfully consider, first off, subscribing to our listserv to find out what's going on at the board, and you can find that information on our website. But think about volunteering for a task force. Uh, if, it, if there's a particular item or subject that you have a great interest in, uh, responding to one of our exposure drafts on behalf of your organization or simply as an interested party. The board reads every letter that comes in from someone responding to our, to our exposure draft. Uh, comment on our annual report and through your technical plan. We're always looking for feedback from the community on other areas that we need to address that we haven't considered. Uh, and then if you have a real technical inquiry, we have, you can easily do that through our website and staff will review. And if it, the staff determines that that's something the board needs to take up for consideration, it will present to the board. I want to express my gratitude to all those that have made this board so successful. I'd like to thank the board members, our wonderful executive director, and the, and this, the dedicated staff, members of the appointments panel, members of the AAPC, which is the Accounting and Policy Auditing Policy Committee, those serving on our task forces, and all who read and respond to our request for input. You know, your, your all uh, passion and dedication make the board's work possible. Paul, it's been a privilege. Hopefully I've been able to share more of the background about Statement 59 with your listeners and a little bit better understanding of why we did what we did. Absolutely. Well, George, thanks again for joining us today. I pre appreciate your time. Thank you very much. It's been a great, a great privilege. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. AGACGFM.org. That's where you find us. Many more podcasts on the way. Still trying to clear out my, my bank here, but uh, I've got some new exciting guests coming up soon, so keep your ear out. And until that next time we uh, meet, this is your host, Paul Marshall, signing off for Accountability Talks with AGA.